Activist Radio is on the air. You've tuned into the Mark Harrington Show. Sponsored by Created Equal. Time is running out for our nation. I beg of you, you need to stand against the evil that's plaguing our nation. If you don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. Like, you kill a baby fetus, the same thing as killing any old inanimate object. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders. You, you, you young people, it's your movement now. It's not your parents anymore. The blood that is shed cries out to God from the ground for justice. And now, here's Mark. Now, it's time to think and discern. This is Bob Bernie Live. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Mark Harrington here sitting in for Bob Bernie today. Well, a little trip down memory lane here. 1999, I was with the Center for Bioethical Reform, leading an exhibit on uh, college campuses across America, and we were invited to take this display to the University of British Columbia, which is in Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah, and the uh, sponsoring group was the UBC Students for Life. And because Canada doesn't have a First Amendment like we do here in the States, they have what we they call the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. <clears throat> they don't have the same protections that we do. So upon arrival at the campus, they tried to charge us $10,000 for, quote, Security fees. Well, <clears throat> that setback still allowed us to train some students there. And one of those students was Stephanie Gray. Stephanie Gray. And that's when I met Stephanie Gray. And now it's Stephanie Gray Connors. And Stephanie, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Mark. That was over 20 years ago. It's wild. <laughs> It's too long. <laughs> How did it take so? It's too long ago. Oh boy! So, a lot has happened in twenty years, Stephanie. But uh, anyway, I wanted to bring you on the program today, Stephanie. Over the last twenty years, has been traveling the country, training people in pro-life apologetics, and she is the author of two books. And she has a new one. She's just um, published called Start With What? Ten Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. So, Stephanie, what I'd like to do here is start out with that book. I want to get to the other one, Love Unleashes Life, because that's about uh, the pro-life issue and abortion. But let's talk about your new book, Start With What? Ten Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. What do you mean by start with what? Great question. So it's kind of a play on one of the most popular TED Talks of all time by Simon Sinek called, uh, based off his book called Start With Why. 
And uh, he's basically talking about in the business world, if you want to have a successful business, you need to know your reason for being. You need to know your why. And when I started reflecting on that in light of this topic of assisted suicide, I thought, you know, when people suffer, when they go through hardship, they often start with why. They think, why me? Mm-hmm. Why did this happen to me? Why did I get cancer? Why did I get in a car accident? Why am I quadriplegic? And if you think about the answer to that question, it's not very satisfying. Um, it's basically there's evil in the world. Um, bad things happen to people. Life is unfair. But but why a car accident for one person and not another? Why a cancer, you know, experience of cancer for one person and not another? So why isn't very satisfying? Also because it focuses us on the past. What has happened and why did it happen? And what I found in my research on assisted suicide is if we want to help people find meaning in their life and not despair, we actually need to start with the question, what? Which is a forward-focused question. What can I do in Mm -hmm. response to this suffering? What can I do in response to this cancer, this car accident, this quadriplegia? What amazing, wonderful, good thing can I bring out of this terrible, awful, horrible thing? And the power of that question is it's empowering. It gives us hope and uh, opportunity and potential for great things, even out of difficult situations. My guest is Stephanie Gray Connors. And uh, Stephanie's married now, by the way. <laughs> she, uh, oh, it's a good thing. I'm so used to calling you Stephanie Gray. Part. I had to get used to the Connors part now. I know. Well, you know, I, I, I was going to say what, what seems like a weight of biblical proportions. It was three weeks after my 40th birthday that uh, I got married last summer. So, yeah, it's getting used to the new name. And we're excited that you married Amer- an American, too. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a cool so thing. So <laughs> I. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so assisted suicide, if you would, and, and I, I really love the w- where you're going with this. Um, in the United States, you know, it's it's legal in some states and not so in, in other states. In in Canada, I don't know the status, uh, but I imagine it's legal across the country. Uh, if you would, let, let's go through. We're not going to get through all ten principles, but let's pick a couple, if you would, and talk about. Some sure. of the principles as we think about assisted suicide. And the, and here's the thing. I mean, a lot of people listening thinking, well, you know, I don't have to deal with that. I'm not going to have to worry about that. Will they? Will they, they have to they think about that? sadly will. Yeah. I mean, as you pointed out, already in America, you've got states like Washington, mm-hmm. Oregon, even right now in Arizona, which is traditionally a more conservative state, there's a bill put forward to try to legalize assisted suicide. So this is becoming an issue that matters. And the reality is, even if someone is in a state where assisted suicide is not yet legal, they may find themselves in a situation where they or their loved ones have a terminal diagnosis, are experiencing profound suffering, and in those moments of anguish question, what is the right course of treatment? What should I say yes to? What should I say no to? So we really need to be prepared to have a right-ordered perspective on what is affirming the dignity of the person um, and, and what works to alleviate their suffering without eliminating them, the, the sufferer. And in fact, that's one of the points, actually, of, of the 10 ways of thinking on this subject is 
my, my fourth chapter and fourth point is we can alleviate suffering without eliminating the sufferer. And that's important because with assisted suicide, we're getting rid of the person entirely. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pro-life perspective says, okay, I'm not going to eliminate you, but I want to eliminate your suffering. But the reality is because we're in a broken, imperfect world, because we're always working to advance our medical technology and pain management, I probably can't eliminate your suffering, but I can work to alleviate it. You know, if we think for even something like diabetes and our ability to provide people insulin, that's alleviating the suffering of those people. But there was a time in history where insulin wasn't yet to be discovered and where people with diabetes suffered greatly and died because they didn't have access to insulin. If we just eliminated those sufferers before we had that advancement, if we eliminated them, what motivation would we have had to discover insulin? It's only when we have a person who is suffering and we refuse to eliminate them that we're forced to get creative about how to fix the situation they're in, and then we come up with inventions, even even pain management. Our ability to control people's physical experience of pain is vastly improved today compared to, you know, 10 years ago, let alone 50 or 100 years ago. So it's about focusing on the circumstances around a person and correcting those, not eliminating the person himself. My guest is Stephanie Gray Connors, and uh, folks, if you like what you're hearing you need to pick up this book. Uh, start with what? Ten Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. And Stephanie, they can pick that up at loveunleasheslife.com. Can they also get it on Amazon? Correct, yes. If they go to loveunleasheslife.com and click on books, it has the link direct to the Amazon page where people can order. Okay. So loveunleasheslife.com. You can pick up the book. Uh, start with what? Ten principles for thinking about assisted suicide. Uh, so we've got one of the principles. How about another? Sure. One of my points, uh, chapter six, is human flourishing occurs in a context of connection. This is another reason why this book is relevant, not only because we're starting to see a shift towards societal acceptance of assisted suicide, mm-hmm. but with this past year of COVID-19 and lockdowns, mm-hmm. we're actually seeing an increase in suicide. We're seeing an increase in despair. Right. And a large part of that is because of isolation. We human beings are communal creatures. We are made for relationship. And I remember, actually, I texted a friend of mine almost a year ago. It was March last year, the weekend that COVID was declared a pandemic and things were shutting down. And even then, I texted him and I said, hell is isolation and heaven is a communion of persons. So if we want to know what leads to human flourishing, it is imaging God, who is a communion of persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are made to be in a relationship of giving and receiving love. And so one of my points is a way to avoid assisted suicide is to put people in a situation where they're not isolated, where they have family and they have friends, or they have church community that is surrounding them, that is spending their days with those individuals, holding their hand, giving them the gift of presence, the gift of touch. And when we are in relationship, that is actually when we human beings thrive. My guest is Stephanie Gray Connors. Folks, you can pick up her book. Actually, there's two of them. We're going to talk about the second one here on the other side of the break here. 
Uh, her book on assisted suicide called Start With What? 10 Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. Go to loveunleasheslife.com to pick it up. We'll be right back. Today's news, God's Word, and your thoughts. This is Bob Bernie Live. My guest today is Stephanie Gray Connors, and Stephanie and I have traveled the uh, North America over the last two decades on college campuses debating students about abortion primarily. And Stephanie's written a new book that's called Start With What? Ten Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. And you can pick it up at loveunleasheslife.com. That's loveunleasheslife.com. So, Stephanie, we've we've done two out of ten of those principles. Let's get one more, and then I'd like to ask you why you expanded from the issue of abortion onto this topic. So let's add one more of those principles in there. Sure. Well, let's let's jump to principle number eight, which is some of the best things in life come when we release control. And this is perhaps a really challenging one for people because, especially in the West, we seem to be a culture of control freaks. I myself have struggled with uh, inordinate control at times. <laughs> and yet, when it comes to this topic of assisted suicide and people desiring to plan out their death down to the day, the hour, the minute, exactly how it will happen, who will be there, um, really it's about control. And one of the things I point out in that chapter is it's amazing what happens when we let go of control. And I compare and contrast two people. One is Brittany Maynard, and the other one is Maddie Stepanek. Brittany Maynard is an example of trying to stay in control. Hers is a very sad story. Uh, she was a fairly young newlywed who was diagnosed with a brain ca- uh, tumor and moved from California to Oregon so she could get assisted suicide and control the timing of her death. And she was so understandably afraid of how the cancer would advance and the effects it would have on her in terms of seizures and then in those moments biting her tongue and then bleeding and and Mm. so on and so forth and all kinds of um, vomiting and pain. But she wanted to avoid all that by controlling her death with assisted suicide, which she did um, and was known really around the world. Her story was, was made public. And so I argue in my chapter that that's an example we should not follow, but someone we should follow who also went through great suffering is a young boy named Maddie Stepanek from Maryland. And he was born with a very rare, severe form of muscular dystrophy that had killed uh, three of his older siblings, all very young when they were either babies or toddlers. His mom, unbeknownst to everyone until the fourth child was born, she... um, was the genetic carrier of this and ended up developing an adult onset version of it. Maddie was not supposed to live beyond birth, but he managed to live to the age of 13. He and his mother went through profound suffering, both of them needing to be in wheelchairs, going through a lot of hospital visits, a lot of pain. When Maddie was 11 years old, he was essentially, according to doctors, on his deathbed. 
um, and he was uh, bleeding out. His mom described so many different parts of him, and he was in a lot of pain, and he wanted to go home, and the doctor said, no, no, if you go home, like, it's going to be really bad. We want to keep you here so we can at least control your pain. And that's the type of situation where some people would say, look, if you're in that much pain and you're on death's door, why not choose assisted suicide? Like, Mm -hmm. why not just get it over with? But this is an example of the power of letting go of control. Instead of embracing assisted suicide and saying, okay, I'm at the end, let's end it, Maddie prayed. And as it should happen, the bleeding stopped. And the doctors thought it was temporary, but it wasn't. In, in what really seems like a miracle, he survived that incident, lived for three more years. But here's what's significant. It was those next three years that he became known and loved around the world. It was after that incident that his poetry became published in about seven books and became New York Times bestsellers. He befriended Oprah Winfrey, was on her show multiple times, and um, she said of the thousands of people that she's interviewed, she's only literally had a handful of people that she's really maintained authentic friendships with, one of whom was Maddie Stepanek. He was interviewed on Larry King Live. Um, He befriended former President Jimmy Carter, who gave the eulogy at his funeral. All of this happened in the three years that wouldn't have happened if he had tried to take control and had assisted suicide. But because he wanted to live until he died and not take control of his death, the most incredible things happened. And that's an example that, that we should follow. My guest is Stephanie Gray Connors, and she's the author of two books, and you can pick them up at uh, loveunleasheslife.com. The first is on assisted suicide, Start With What? Ten Principles of Thinking About Assisted Suicide. And the other one is Love Unleashes Life, Abortion, and the Art of Communicating Truth. Uh, Stephanie, the question I have for you is why? Well, first of all, we just remembered the, what is it, 48th? year of Roe versus Wade here in America. 62 million unborn babies have been killed by abortion. On a, on the scale of the gravity of death, obviously abortion outweighs assisted suicide. So why did you want to expand from educating on abortion to this topic? Great question. I think the key word there is expand. So I wanted to continue to educate uh, on the subject of abortion and, and protect the preborn. But I realized that our culture was very quickly dwindling down morally and mm-hmm. starting to embrace the attack on more vulnerable persons. And the, really, the two most vulnerable groups in our society are those at the very beginning of their life and those at the very end. Uh, and, and people who are targets for assisted suicide and euthanasia, whether it's the elderly, people with disabilities, people with, you know, um, terminal cancers and so forth, they need our support and they need our love and they need our perspective. And with a growing movement really around the world to legalize assisted suicide and really give up on these people when they need us most, I realized there was a need to take my apologetic skill that I had really honed in at the beginning of life. How do we be gracious? How do we be winsome? How do we be persuasive? And apply that also to this topic at the end of life. My guest again is uh, Stephanie Gray Connors. And folks, you can pick up her book at loveunleasheslife.com, loveunleasheslife.com. In the next segment, we're going to talk about that book, Abortion in the Art of Communicating Truth, and how to speak to the heart and the head. We'll be right back. 
Bob Bernie Live. Looking at today's news through a biblical worldview. It's my privilege to have as my guest today on Bob Bernie Live, Stephanie Gray Connors, and she's the author of two books. The first we talked about in the first two segments, and that book is entitled Start With What? Ten Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide. And the second book is called Love Unleashes Life, Abortion, and the Art of Communicating Truth. And Stephanie, to me, kind of personifies what I call the gentle warrior. That is someone who can take uh, the attacks, um, the anger, if you will, from people that don't agree with us and sometimes get upset. I've seen her do this on college campuses and be able to address them in a loving, caring, winsome way. And that's why I think her book, Love Unleashes Life, for sure, is one of the best pro-life apologetic books out there, and I exhort you to pick it up. And you can do so by going to loveunleasheslife.com. So, Stephanie, let's let's talk about that in this final segment, um, the, the, the book uh, Love Unleashes Life. Uh, you know, obviously in the book you have all the, uh, the, the, the pro-life arguments, and, and obviously those are, those are key. We need to know how to argue. But and, and how to debate, but you go beyond that, uh, beyond the tactics, you know, themselves or the actual arguments, and you talk about packaging the message so that it will be heard. Let's talk about that. How do we speak to the head and the heart? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it's really important to remember. You know, one of the most quoted passages of scriptures, uh, the scriptures, especially when it comes to wedding readings, is Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he defines love as being patient and kind. Mm -hmm. Of all the words he could have used to define it, and of course he goes on and uses more, the very first two involve patience and kindness. And so I think that's the first lesson we need to bear in mind when interacting with people. We don't just want to win an argument. We want to win the person we're arguing with. And one of the ways to achieve that goal is to be patient and to be kind, because that person is not going to remember only what we say, but also how we say it. And if we say things in a rude, dismissive way, then that's going to put a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to how they perceive pro-lifers and our position. Now, beyond that disposition, I would say we then need to look to the example of Jesus and how he interacted with people. When he was teaching and imparting lessons, what did he do? And time and again throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus being very Socratic. He was mm-hmm. asking lots of questions. Because what happens when you ask someone a question? Well, they immediately think, what is the answer? And, and that's important because you, you activate their mind, you get them thinking, and on this topic... There's often not enough deep thought. People hear slogans and just embrace them. So when we ask for reasons behind claims, it it compels people to think more deeply. So we want to ask questions. But the other thing Jesus did when he interacted with people is he told parables. He was always speaking in stories because Mm -hmm. stories activate our imagination too. They, They get us thinking. They help us visualize things and make principles easier to embrace when we can see them lived out in settings, 
circumstances and with characters we can relate to and understand. So when being patient and kind while imparting our pro-life message, we want to continually look for how we can package that message through question asking and storytelling. Well, we often tell our our pro-life apologists, our young people are created equal, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's really mm. the truth of it. So, um, I'm, again, my guest is uh, Stephanie Gray Connors. You can pick up her books at loveunleasheslife.com. And we're talking about the um, the book on abortion. Uh, Stephanie, the um, when people reject our message, when they don't want to hear the arguments, what should we do? Because we get a lot of that. I mean, people are just not interested or they'll, <laughs> they'll say something I mean or whatever and, and, and not listen. How do we handle that? I think we lost. It's possible. Oh, there you are. Oh, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Okay. That's where we want to ask, where is the person coming from? And is it possible that there is some personal experience, some pain that is influencing how they're receiving the intellectual arguments we're proposing? So if we seem to not be advancing our message, if we maybe move from the head to the heart and ask a question like, I'm curious, where did your passion come from? Mm. That could cause the person to disclose that they once drove a friend to an abortion clinic or their mom had an abortion, which can then ask, uh, prompt us to ask, well, how's your mom doing? Or did your friend ever talk about the experience? And, and give them a chance to tell what's on their heart. Another question we can ask someone is one I once asked a student when I was on an outreach exhibit with you, Mark. I was interacting with an angry student named Noah. And at one point, I just looked at him and I just really gently said, Noah, what does someone who thinks like you want someone who thinks like me to understand? Good question. And what we're really, yeah, what we're really imparting in that moment is, Look, we don't agree. That's obvious. The whole conversation up to this point has made that abundantly clear. So I'll give you a chance to just enlighten me. What don't I know? What is most on your heart? And when you ask someone that question, that actually often makes them pause and go real quiet because then they think, what do I want you to know? What, what? And, and really, again, the power of that question is it's forcing them to wrestle more deeply with what is behind perhaps their their anger or their defensiveness. You know, I, I remember a friend of mine who worked in social work saying, anger is a secondary emotion. Whenever someone is angry, there is a more primary emotion underneath. Is it sadness, for example? Is it is it shame? But something is underneath the anger. And so we want to ask questions more oriented to the heart and to the emotion to allow that person to open up. And then it really can become a ministering opportunity. So, folks, if you're a uh, Christian pro-lifer out there and, uh, you know, you really haven't done a whole lot to defend the unborn, to speak up for the unborn, this is the book you want to pick up, folks. Uh, Love Unleashes Life, Abortion and the Art of Communicating Truth. And uh, this is a, a really good book on giving you the basics, but also giving you some tactics on how to speak to the heart as well as the head. And you can pick that up at uh, that book at Love Unleashes Life. 
com as well as her book on uh, assisted suicide and that is uh, start with what 10 principles for thinking about assisted suicide stephanie uh, if you would give us a few parting words i appreciate you being on the program oh thank you mark well you know i gave a talk just the other night and what came to mind was the words of dr martin luther king jr who said Mm-hmm. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. You know, it is easy to love when it's easy to love. It's easy to do the right thing when it's easy. Um, that's comfort and convenience. But when it comes to an unplanned pregnancy, when it comes to moments of profound suffering, of, of, of disabilities that were unexpected, of, of terminal diagnoses, these are the times of difficulty, challenge, the times of challenge, the times of controversy. But this is the test. This is, this is those moments that give us opportunities to grow in virtue, to really learn what it means to value another human person, and to do the right thing even when it's hard. So my guest has been Stephanie Gray Connors. And folks, if you want to pick up her books, go to loveunleasheslife.com. That's loveunleasheslife.com. She's got a book on assisted suicide, which is her newest. And, of course, her book on abortion, Love Unleashes Life. So, folks, uh, appreciate Stephanie being on the program. We'll be right back. This is Mark Harrington sitting in for Bob Bernie. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil evil plague in America, Call Created Equal at 614-269-7808. That's 614-269-7808. Or go online to createdequal.net. Createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.